Let's read and hear God's holy words. Romans 8, 1 to 2. Therefore, First Peter two nine to ten. Into his marvelous light. Colossians two, verse six to eight. So then, just as you receive Christ, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. And then finally, Philippians 2, 3 to 8, be like Christ, do nothing, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, The grass withers, the flower fades. Lord, your word, your word stands forever. Yes, Lord, heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will not pass away. So, Lord, I pray once more that your powerful, living words will just cut through us, piercing us right where it will hit us, O oh God. Because your words are what we need to be able to subsist and to continue living in this evil world. Father, we commit this time to you. Don't allow us to leave this place untouched, unmoved, and unchanged by your word. Lord, I commit myself to you. I am no one apart from your spirit. Lord, I cannot in any way even touch the hearts of the people, but by your power and your spirit, O oh God, change us, change us, and make us conform to the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Um, there are seats here in front, please. Um, Pastor in song. Edwin, I think it's really time to look for a new place for us. You know, um, we have not even flexed our muscles yet, and I believe God has plans for us. And I really encourage the leadership of this satellite church to start considering a bigger place. Um, because church planting principles indicate, and I'd like to share this with you so that you can share the burden with us, that if the place is 80% full, which is where we are today, I think even more, church planting principle says we will no longer grow. 
But if we move to a bigger place, kahit kakalog-kalog tayo doon, okay, the principle says, God will be the one to fill it. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. So pray with us as far as that is concerned. So, <clears throat> like you, I know much na Tagalog yara. I know much na about what God wants me to obey. For the English people, na means already. Okay. And, uh, you know, we have been spending time in Knowing God series for quite some time now. And I believe you know what God wants you to do given the series we have been going through. For example, in the topic, God is Almighty, you know that we just have to trust and obey, surrender and wait upon Him. Right? You do know that. And in the series that Pastor Song shared in God Answers Prayers, you know that we ought to always go to Him in humility. Every time God's Word is spoken, and every time God's Word is understood, there is a corresponding action required from us. You see that? Because God said, therefore we do. That's the principle. And in the topic, God is sovereign, we learn to let God be God. You're not God. He is God. His will, not yours, will prevail. Whatever you like, if it's not in accordance to God's will, that's not going to work. So what do we do? Do as he says, and you will know his will. Right? So far, so good. Like you, I know now why God wants me to obey all of his commands. Right? And like you, I know now why God wants me to obey all of his commands. Right? Okay, para yatang hindi nyo naintindihan yung message ni Pastor Insong. Okay? Pastor Insong gave us a series on the Ten Commandments. Amen? Do you recall why? We should obey the Ten Commandments. He spent a long time spending or explaining why we ought to obey all the commandments. And if you will recall, the first, the first reason why, he said, is to set us apart and distinguish us as God's people. Say amen to that. Amen. And in 1 Peter 2.10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So you know now why you have to obey the commandments of God? Because you are God's people. Right. Number two, to prove and show that we love God and our fellow believers. That's why we ought to obey the Ten Commandments. I'm just reviewing what Pastor Insong shared with us in the series in the last two months, I believe. The verses for that is John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So far, so good? Meaning, you know now why we have to obey all God's commandments? And then, number three, he said, Pastor Song said, we have to obey because we have to become powerful and effective witnesses for Christ. That's 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may 
because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of the visitation. Right? And then just last Sunday, Pastor Jonathan Phoenix shared with us, and we learned how to be filled to overflow. Those of you who are not here, you know, you can just take a look at your chronicle. It's there. Uh, how many of you don't have the chronicles, so we should be given the chronicles, right? And what did we learn? In Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7, Pastor Insong used this also as a verse to prepare our hearts for this morning's worship. And it says, therefore, just as you receive Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Guys, now that you're saved, you have to do something. You have to be deeply rooted and continue to live your lives in him. There is always that command that follows that we should be obeying. Believers ought to follow and obey Christ. Now, my question to you is this. Have you started to be filled to overflow? Or that has just remained a plan? Plan. Something that I will do maybe when I am reminded. Is that what Jesus is saying or is that what the Bible is saying? No. God says you are saved, therefore you are going to walk in Christ to overflow. I have a question. Am I now obeying continually what I now know clearly are God's commands for my good and protection? Between you and God, are you really now obeying or you are rationalizing and rationalizing and saying, oh, a time will come, I'll probably will. Is that what God wants? God wants you to obey when? Now, right? In fact, are we continually observing all that Christ has commanded us in obedience to Matthew 28, 18 to 20? Folks, let me remind you, we are Christ Commission Fellowship and we stand for the Great Commission. That's who we are, and I'm so proud of it. I became a Christian in CCF, and today I'm still part of CCF, and we stand for the Great Commission. And you know what the Great Commission is telling us to do? We should share the gospel, and then more importantly, after sharing the gospel to someone who's believing, we should teach that someone to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. Really? The Great Commission? It's all about, it's not just about sharing the gospel and bringing the person to Christ so that the person will know Christ. To me, as part of CCF, and that's who we stand for, the Great Commission is all about teaching someone to obey everything. Wow, think about it. Question is this, are we supposed to obey all? Folks, are we really supposed to obey all? Really like in all? Mm. See, I am really bothered with what's happening today. That's why I am taking this posture today. And I want you to see it for yourself. That's why I want to have an exercise. An exercise, okay? An exercise. Question, are there still commandments of God that you are not, still obeying today. You have a chronicle, 
Can you write how many of those commandments you're not obeying? If it's two, you write two. If it's one, you write one. But I want you to write something there. If you are still at the point where you are not obeying God's commandments, can you, can you do that, please? Or if you have obeyed all, don't write anything, right? If you're like George, he probably obeys all, okay? So he doesn't have to write anything. But be honest, between you and God, is there or are there still commands that you are not obeying or consistently obeying today? Write in that chronicle your number. Come on, guys, you're not writing. No chronicle today? Can you write at the back of your neighbor one, okay, two, or something like that? You know that, 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 that game where you have to write at the back, okay? Right? No, okay, since we don't have a chronicle, I'm sorry. I, I assume too much. In your mind, you know how many of those commands you're not obeying. But now, my second question for the exercise is this. Discuss. Discuss with the person next to you or the person in front of you this. Why are you not obeying or continually not obeying these commandments of God, even if you know why the why is for obeying them? I'm, I'm going to give you two or three minutes. Come on, discuss, okay? Why are you not obeying the commands? George, why are you laughing? Alex, I want you to share why. Those of you who are not discussing, I will talk to you later. Okay, okay, that's enough for me. I know you still want to continue. I heard one of you said, Pastor naman eh, isa lang hindi ko inuubi, kailangan pa bang i-discuss ko itong why? You know, you see, guys, I want to make it clear. Jesus did not make a mistake by saying, we ought to observe and obey all. You think he made a mistake by saying this? I don't think so. And can you rationalize that, do we really have to obey all? Oh, by the way, Pastor Don, let me remind you, huh? God forgave me all of my sins already, okay? And he replaced the law. Therefore, the law is irrelevant. No, Pastor Insong spent a whole month explaining that to you. Grace requires responsibility. And responsibility is obedience. Because if grace is all there is, then God would not have given this command to us to make disciples, to observe all that I have commanded you. Amen? Amen? Otherwise, this is useless. But he did. Very clearly, he did. Now, in your exercise, you would probably would have come with the conclusion that I did. Sad but true. Meaning what? We want to obey and follow indeed, but we simply could not consistently and sometimes even cannot consistently. Amen? 
I know your intentions. I know you want to obey. But like, like you, like me, I struggle. I struggle. Bakit ba ganyan? <laughs> Di ba? Bakit? Bakit ganyan yung picture mo? You know, I'd like to share a short video. Okay? I hope the sound is clear. Can I play it now? Have you recently made a resolution to yourself to become a better person and then didn't follow through? Have you made a promise to get things done and then didn't? Do you feel let down by feelings of personal failure? Well, I say fight back. My name is Dirk Hardcastle and I'm a lawyer and I fight for your right. For many of us, making promises to ourselves is a time-honored tradition. But when we break those promises, we often struggle with feelings of worthlessness. Feeling bad? I'm sorry, but I thought this was America. My law firm is prepared to fight for financial compensation for your feelings of sadness. Cold hard cash. Have you been trying to lose weight only to gain more weight? I will sue. I will find whoever it is who has been putting delicious food in your refrigerator. And if that person is you, I will sue the farmer. Have you been trying to gossip less only to gossip more? I will sue. I will drag whoever you're speaking badly about to court because you wouldn't be speaking bad about them if they didn't deserve it. Have you been trying to read the Bible more or spend more time in prayer? How's that going? I will sue your pastor or minister for making you feel uncomfortable with your spiritual progress. I fight for people's rights to remain stagnant. Some people say that it's only through constant spiritual discipline and the leading of the Lord that we become more Christ-like. But I say, let a lawyer be a judge of that. My name's Dirk Hardcastle, and I'm a lawyer. Dirk Hardcastle is not a lawyer, and in no way, shape, or form can farmers, pastors, ministers, or victims of gossip lose a lawsuit brought on by the likes of a Dirk Hardcastle. Resolutions are not guaranteed. Today, today, I will be bold and offensive to steer us out of the rut in trying to obey all, but usually unable. I will repeat, today, I will be offensive and bold. And you can sue if you like. <laughs> That's why I showed you that lawyer. No, seriously, I don't want to be sued. But I need to be bold and offensive to make us realize the circle that we're in. We just keep going around in circles, in circles, and in circles. I'm just saddened with our knowing what to do, but are unable to do, even if we so want to. I know you. Every time I talk to you, do you want to obey God? Yeah, I want to be the best Christian there is. But we're open, we're, we're often stuck because we want to do something, but we can't do it. And we say we have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we do. But what happens? We still remain unchanged most of the time. Truth is, and this is where I become bold and offensive. Kill me if you want to after this message. I'll be gone for another month anyway. <laughs> we are still proud and selfish people who want to be in control and do what God 
and do what we want and not what God wants. Do you see me? Do you hear what I'm saying? We are still proud and selfish people who want to be in control to do what we want to do and not what God wants to do. And I am bold in declaring to you this morning, unless and until we are freed from our, sorry, unless and until we are freed from our pride and selfishness, we will not be able to obey all. We will not be able to pursue this command and we will always disobey and disregard this command. Our disobedience, disobediences are rooted in our unwillingness to surrender to God's will that goes directly against our own proud and selfish will and desires to be in control. I hope you are getting what I'm getting into. I have three points for this morning. Then I will give you the title of this message. Three points. Number one, we are not growing in Christ-likeness or humility, period. Number two, we are still proud and selfish people to obey all, period. Number three, we need to cultivate humility to kill our pride and selfishness, period. Those are very clear. And this morning, I would like to talk about this topic of cultivating humility. And God willing, I have a series for this that in the days to come when I will be speaking, I will be talking about cultivating humility in line with the series that we have in knowing God. So, cultivate humility. Why? To kill your, your pride and your selfishness. Why? To obey all to prove that you love God and eventually be blessed. That's not bad, huh? Right? Cultivate humility to kill your pride and selfishness, to obey all, love God, and be blessed. So, let me start with the first one. The first one I'd like to start is, we are still proud and selfish people to obey all, period. You know, these are brutal truths, and unless you know brutal truths about yourself, we are not going to get out of where we are. And like I said, I'm being bold and offensive. Forgive me if I come too strong. So we are, are we still bold and proud? Uh, sorry, are we still proud and selfish people to obey all? I believe so. I believe so. If we, as saved believers of Christ, are struggling to obey all, and I think you've just concluded that because there are still some or there are commands that you are not yet obeying and are, you don't even are not bothered about it, you are a sin, in a sin-confess, sin-confess syndrome, then there is something that we need to do. If you are struggling to obey all of Christ's commands, then one thing is clear. One thing is clear. We still do it our way, and that's pride. We do not quite accept the supremacy and sovereignty of God, meaning we are God and God is not God in reality in our lives. What do you call that? Pride. Reason. The reason is found in Colossians 2.8. Pastor Phoenix explained this. He gave us first the promise. What was the promise? Just as you received Christ as our Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthening the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. But you know, as I was studying this, I was led to verse 8. And then verse 8 was very clear. It says, see to it that no one takes you 
captive. Captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Guys, folks, truth be told, you don't know it. I didn't know it. We are still captives. Captives of what? Captives of our own pride and selfishness that we don't even know much about. That's why I'm bringing this thing right in front of us to be able to address that issue. We are captives. We want to do, we want to obey, but we simply can't. We want to. Can you relate? Can you relate to what I'm saying? You know, I know you want to be Christ-like. I know you want to, to, to really please God, but there are times when you just can't. You know why? Because deep inside, we are all captives. Captives. You know, um, General William Booth, he is the founder of the Salvation Army. Before he died, before, during his speak, he was asked this question. And I'm bringing it up I'm bringing this up to show us that we are captives indeed. What are the chief dangers that the church will confront in the 20th century? This was the 20th century. We're now in the 21st century. And you know, I'd like to submit to you that he was very prophetic in his answer. Question, what are the chief dangers that the church will confront in the 20th century? Who is the church? Can you say it louder, please? Us. It's not a building. We are the church. And so he, the question was asked, what are the chief, chief dangers that these people will be facing in the 20th century? You know, look at this answer. In answer to your inquiry, he said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be, look at this, religion without the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine? Holy Ghost panuara, okay? Actually, Holy Spirit now, right? Religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Let me, let me, let me summarize that in a clearer form. Folks, can you relate? Do you see this happening around us today? Seriously, say it louder, please. You know, there are people who say, I want salvation, but please don't mess with my life. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I like that. But please, don't tell me what to do and don't tell me to change. There are a lot of people like that. What do you call that? My will, selfishness, and pride. You know why that's happening? Because you don't know. You're actually captives to empty philosophies of this world that Satan created. And all of these things that Booth is talking about is happening right in front of us. Religion, do this, do that, but we can't do it, right? You know very well in your previous religious life how difficult it was to be able to do what God wants us to do, and yet we move on, trying as if nothing is happening. We want Christianity, but please, don't force it upon me. I want forgiveness, but please, don't ask me to repent. I mean, that's what's going on. And my conclusion is very simple. We, Christians, are still proud and selfish to obey all, period. And we don't know it because we're captives. Look at all of these deceptive philosophies today. They are what? They are blooming all over the place. 
Today, there's even one called neo-paganism. You know what paganism is? You no longer accept the Bible. You no longer believe that there's God and you worship nature and creation. Guys, research. You will see that this is happening all over. And, and this is taking us what? Captives. It's teaching us to be our own self, to do what we want and not what God wants. And we're not aware of it. They're even declaring, we are the glory, we are the majesty and the power because we determine our future, not God. Can you believe that? And many of us may not be aware of it, but we're influenced by this already. This is what I call cultural Christianity. The Christianity that we are facing today and most Christians are exposed to is cultural, not biblical. What does it say? Cultural Christianity means pursuing the God we want instead of the God who is. Can you relate? I want my God to be very gracious. I want my God to be very forgiving, by the way. Oh, Jesus Christ, I like Jesus Christ because he's all for me. You know, we, we want Jesus in the things that we want, but we don't want Jesus in the things that we don't want Jesus to be. That's cultural Christianity. It is the tendency to be shallow in our understanding of God wanting him to be more of a gentle grandfather type who spoils us and lets us have our own way. It is, sending, it is sensing a need for God, but on our own terms. Guys, this is the reality we are facing today. And whether you like it or not, we are all captives of this thinking. It is wanting the God we have underlined in our Bibles without wanting the rest of him too. I want a gracious God. I want a forgiving God, but I don't like a just God. A good God cannot create a hell. That's why we talk about heaven without hell today. People are believing that now. Why? Because they want God in their own terms and not in his terms. We are captives, folks. And we need to know we are captives to our own selfishness and pride. It is the God relative instead of the God absolute. You know who wrote this? Patrick Morley. He's got, a, he's got a bestseller in his book called Man in the Mirror. Get it, read it, and you will see how captives we are. Again, I want to show you we are captives to our own pride and selfishness to be God ourselves. I know some of you are probably saying, uh, not me, pastor. Uh, like George, for example. Okay. Being a George, not me. I'm only captive to my wife. Right? No, no, guys, I'm going to be bold today and make us see what we don't see. We are captives to our own pride and selfishness. Don't be surprised. You know where this all began? This all began in the garden. And I want to show you something that I saw that made me understand and accept the reality today. What happened in the garden? You know, here is Satan, the rebel, who was proud to be like God. That's why God sentenced him to go to hell and created his legions of cohorts. He was proud and selfish. That's why he, was, he rebelled. What did he do? He tempted Eve, right, in the garden. What did he say? You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. Wow. 
You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow. Don't you like to be like God? You know, Satan was so smart. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, he was described as the most crafty of all uh, animals. And he was very crafty, indeed. That's why he said, he didn't say, he didn't say to Eve, or he didn't say to Adam, hey, Adam or Eve, you will be God. He didn't say that. Because Adam and Eve were perfect beings when they were created. Yes? They were perfect. They had no sin, and they were walking with God. And for Satan to come to him and say, hey, Eve, you will be God. Eve knows that. He would say, get out of here. You know, but he was very crafty. What did he say? Eve, you will be like God. How crafty is that? You'll be like God. And you know, Eve fell for it. You know the history. Satan succeeded in making being like God appeal to Eve's pride. Thus, the rebellion and disobedience and the fall of man. What happened after that? Mm, this is where I bring you to a realization. You know what happened after that? Sinful and fallen man came into being. You and I came into being. And we are what? Children of Adam and Eve. And we are fallen, sinful people. Say amen to that. Ah, Mahina, I don't think you believe that, huh? Okay, because you're already part of a Christian organization. You think you're not anymore. You see, we became children of the devil, whether you like it or not. Wow. You know, from being children of God, after the fall, we became what? Ulrich, we became children of the devil, whether you like it or not. We became children of the devil. Our father, the father of lies and the father of pride and selfishness, became our dad, whether you like it or not. Since then, I submit to you, since then, we have become like our father, the devil, proud and selfish people. You may not have, you know, you, you, may, you may be unsettled right now and have difficulty accepting this, but you need to understand it this way so that you will be able to overcome the running, the going around in circles that we have to. You know, my question is this. Since then, we have become like our father, the devil, proud and selfish people. Here's my question. How long have we been children of the devil before we became children of God? Let me take my case. I am now 60 years old. Yeah. And I have my senior citizen cards. Yeah. And I love it. 30% discount. Okay. But you see, before I became a Christian, I was living 29 years of my life as a children of, of Satan. 29. I was like that. How old are you, Keisha? 14. When did you become a Christian? Nine, right? So she's now 14. She's living as a Christian for five years. And she was nine years old as a child of the devil. You think being five years Christian will be able to upset or offset the nine years that easily? Guys, you're kidding yourself. I want you to realize that we've been children of the devil for the longest time before you even became a Christian. Some of you are even two years old, Christians. 
and you are 60. So, 58 years you've been under the power of the evil one. And you think you will be able to just throw that away? Just like that? Come on, guys. Wake up. The point I'm trying to say is too long. We have been children of the devil for too long and much longer than we are children of God. And do you really expect quick transformation is possible? Adrian? <laughs> Doki will tell you that. Doki, I'm warning you. <laughs> you know, this is my theory, thesis. Inside, yes, you can change quickly. You will know, you will understand that you're a child of God, you're a sinner, saved by grace through faith, and you like that. You know that inside, quickly. But not so outside. Because practically, the doing and the being are difficult. Say amen to that. Again, how come and why? I submit to you because we are captives to our own pride and selfishness. And the world that Satan controls keeps bombarding us, bombarding us with so many things that keep us captives. And until we address those issues, folks, we will remain helpless and captive to our sinful nature, trying to become like Christ, wanting to become like Christ, only to fail. And the devil saying us, wala, hindi mo kaya. That's discouraging, isn't it? But I'm here today, like I said, I'll be bold and offensive to tell you, you should call it what it is. Because the moment you accept that we are still captives to our pride and sinfulness, then we can do something about it. Otherwise, we will remain blind, continue to remain blind and not do anything. Guys, we badly need to practically strip ourselves clean of our deep-seated, fallen, sinful nature which makes us captives. If you've been a Christian for only two or three years or five years, and you are 30 years old, my goodness, you have 25 years of undoing to do. And that's not going to be easy. You need to have a practical handle to make this happen. I hope you are sitting there and thinking and disagreeing with me. That's good. Because I want you to start thinking. We were born sinners, selfish, proud, master of our destiny. We want not only to be like God, but now be God of our lives. You know, Adam and Eve, they're perfect. That's why Satan says, be like God. But today, you know what Satan is doing to us? Because he knows we're fallen. You know what he tells? He tells us directly, you be God. I like that. I like that. He doesn't need to be crafty because we're already fallen anyway. Right? That will explain why the churches today are dying. That will explain why we are experiencing so much discouragement. You know, if you, if you go to churches today, you will see a lot of Christians going to church. But I submit to you, because they are still captive of their fallen and sinful selves, they're not growing. They remain flat. And I think we should be bothered by that. I am bothered by that. And that's why I'm really becoming really bold about this. And God made me see something that I've never seen before. That's why I'm sharing this with you. 
So, we finished my point number one. We are still proud and selfish to obey all, period. I'll go to my point number two. We are still, we are not growing in Christ-likeness and humility, period. I think that's obvious. If we are still selfish and proud, how can we be Christ-like? Right? Right? So, we are not growing in Christ-likeness, period. For so long as we are captives to our pride and selfish desires, we will hardly grow in Christ-likeness. It will be useless. You can go to any Bible study and every Bible study you like. You can go and attend to every D group you like. But for as long as you are not addressing the selfishness in you by replacing that with Christ-likeness in you that needs to grow, then it's not going to happen. Christ-likeness, which we defined as selfless humility to the point of death, if you remember my message on humility in Philippians 2, 3 to 8, is the exact opposite of pride and selfishness, right? You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, uh, I think you're lost. Uh, you understand that Christ-likeness is the exact opposite of pride and selfishness. Say amen to that. So, if you are still captives to your pride and selfishness without you knowing it because of what the devil is doing and what you allow yourselves to be, then the conclusion is very clear. You are not growing in Christ-likeness, even though you want to. Because either you are Christ-like or Satan-like. One cannot be both and live. What is Christ-likeness? This is how Pastor Phoenix said it. We should continue to live your lives with Christ, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, for you to overflow. Pastor Insong shared this this morning. My question is this. If you are bombarded by cultural Christianity, you know, what is your chance of being deeply rooted in Christ? If you are bombarded with many, many philosophies of this world telling you to be God and not God be God, then what are the chances of you being rooted in Christ-likeness? Slim. How often do you go to a Bible study? Once a month? How often do you go to worship service? Once a week? Four times a week? How often are you exposed to the world, to the television, and to everything that Satan exposes to you? 90% of the time. And you're surprised why you are not able to obey and become like Christ? Don't be. Because we're allowing ourselves to be victims of this reality. Question is this. What is the proof that you are firmly rooted and are being built up in Christ? Very simple. To me, your Christ-like lifestyle of obeying all. Jesus obeyed all, didn't he? That's why he's giving the command. He said, hey, guys, I obeyed all, by the way. Therefore, if you're going to be my follower and disciples, and if you're going to be like me, that's what he's saying, I want you to obey all. I want you to obey all. Wow. I said, Lord, kaya ba? You know, but, but he says it. I don't think he's... He, I don't think he's joking. He said it. Obedience to all. Our obedience to all. Our Christ-likeness needs to glow and to show. Our lifestyle should be evident that we are Christ-like. 
The Christ-likeness is specifically defined and explained behaviorally by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Those of you that I'm spending time with, I'm asking you to memorize this. And those of you who are here and you know who you are, I know you've been memorizing this. And this is what Christ-likeness is all about. Let's read it again, please. Do nothing but with humility. Who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. How humble was Christ? If I were you, spend some time meditating on this passage. Have this attitude in yourself. Just like what Christ had. Who although he existed as God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here is God, here is Jesus becoming man. How humbling is that? It's like man becoming an ant. How humbling is that? But Jesus, God, the God of the universe becoming man? Not only that, he did not become like a man like George. Okay? George, sorry, you know, he became not like George. He became a what? A bond servant, a slave. You know, from God to man, not just ordinary man, not even Obama, because he would have, he would have been entitled to being Obama, right? No, he emptied himself to become a servant. Not only that, he even died on the cross. How humbling is that? We don't know it. We take it for granted, but that's what we are supposed to be. And that's why in Philippians, I'm sorry, in Philippians 2, 3 to 8, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for the interests of Mike, but for the interests of Paula. You see? You know, if you do that, you'll be a better person. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. Why? Because humility is Christ-likeness, and Christ-likeness is what will make you stand above all the challenges of this world today. Christ-likeness is very simple, according to the Bible. Selfless humility to the point of death. How humble have you become? To the point of death? Bong? Not yet. You know, you will just be told that you are wrong. You, you, you oppose right away. You excuse me? This is the United States. I will sue. Right? What a culture. You know? That's who we are, and we don't know it. But on Sundays, wow, we sing. We want to become like Christ. When we hear the messages of the pastors, the great, you know, deep, deep theology, we are so blessed. But we go home doing nothing and still be what? Captives to our pride and selfishness. That's the reality. But God said, hey, I want you to be like my son. If you are a follower of my son, I would like you to be selfless and humble even if you die doing it. Ouch. Can you really do that? Mm. 
I wonder. Okay, we're not growing in Christ-like humility. We are still proud and selfish. That's why I want to go to my point of answering how we can get out of this rut. My humble suggestion is cultivate humility to kill our pride and selfishness, period. Cultivate humility. Before, before I do that, I would like you to understand a principle. Sequential must of becoming what you want to be. You know, first, you need to know what you want to be. Second, you have to understand why you want to do that, right? If you want to become a good golfer, you have to decide, I want to become a good golfer. And then you say, why do I want to become a good golfer? To be able to beat Edwin and Alvin and all of these people who are humbling me, okay? You're motivated, right? And then you will believe and embrace that truth. It will consume you. It will motivate you. When that happens, you go to the practical part. You start practicing to be a good golfer. You start doing what you need to do, and then eventually you will be a good golfer. You understand the principle? Anything. If you want to be a good father, if you want to be a good lawyer, if you want to be a good doctor, you must go through this sequence. Right? And the problem with this sequence is this. Between three and four, there is a great big divide. Right? What am I saying? I'm going to show you again where we are. Right? One, two, three is easy. What? You now know why you should obey the Ten Commandments. Right? To set us apart and distinguish us as God's people. Pastor Song shared this. You know, you understand, and believe this. Say amen. amen. Yeah. You've known this. You were very excited when this was first shared with you. You know that. Number two, to prove and show that we love God and our fellow believers. You know that too. You know, you understand, and you embrace that. I like that because I want to prove to the world I, I love God. Right? Number three, to become powerful witnesses and effective. You know that too. You know, you understand, you embrace. You like that. And then uh, Pastor Phoenix said, you will overflow with thankfulness if you are rooted in Christ. You know that too. You understand that too. And you embrace that too. Where is the missing link? The missing link is we are, are we really now able to obey and, all beca and become all that God wants us to become? The answer is no. You know why? It's like this. You want to look like Schwarzenegger. But you look like, never mind. You look at yourself in the mirror. You see the picture of what you want to be. And you know, you understand and you believe that. Guys, you have a picture of what you want to be. Christ-like. Flowing with the Spirit. Filling with the Holy Spirit. I am going to be really a very good Christian. Right? But the reality is you can't. Why? Because you lack practice, the doing, and the becoming. Unless you understand what is missing, we will never be able to do and become what we want to be. There is a big gap, and there is a great divide. Amen? Okay. So, what is the missing link? And I'm going to close with this. The missing link. Well, simply... Cultivate humility to kill our pride and selfishness. What do we do? 
there's a practical key to cultivate humility and Christ-likeness. What is Christ-likeness? Selfless humility to the point of death. How do you cultivate this? There's a practical key. Make disciples. Here you go again. Guys, I want to be bold and offensive. If you want to cultivate Christ-likeness, be Christ-like. Make disciples. Look at the Great Commission. Make disciples. It says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower, a believer first, and then a follower of Christ. You first believe, and then you follow. How do you become a follower? By obeying. You know, many of us want to only believe and go to heaven. But we cease to follow. We never grow because we don't follow. But that's exactly what the Great Commission wants. Making disciples, therefore, is helping the believer grow in Christ's likeness because to follow Christ is to be like Christ. If we are to teach someone to become a follower of Christ, then let's teach them Christ's likeness. And that's exactly what the Great Commission is talking about. What is the process of the Great Commission? Number one, baptize them. Share the gospel. That's where we're good at. That's where most churches are good at. You know where most churches are failing and most leaders are failing, including us? In teaching the believers to grow, to obey, and to follow. That's where we fail miserably. The second part is the most important part as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, which is teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Everything? And you know, that's not going to happen, folks, unless you understand that there is a process of making disciples. And if you are not teaching someone to obey everything, I'm sorry, you're not making disciples. You think you are. Oh, I'm attending a D group. Oh, is that making disciples already? Look at what the Bible is saying. Look at what the Great Commission is saying. Teaching them to observe all, right? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What does that mean? You are supposed to be spending time with someone intentionally and telling the person what it is that he needs to obey so that he will obey. And you know what I discovered? You cannot teach someone to obey if you yourself are not obeying. Say amen to that. Amen. And that's why making disciples is genius. You know, the Bible says, the Bible is not saying, Ulrich, go find the discipler. He didn't say that. Do you see that? Go look for Pastor Insong. Go look for Pastor Daddy to disciple you. No, he didn't say that. He said, go make disciples. Does it have any qualifications? Does it qualify whether you finish GLC 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7? No. Does it qualify that you have finished the seminary? Does it qualify that you have obeyed 90% or 10%? No. He simply said, if you're a believer and a follower of Christ and you know who you are, what did he say? Go teach someone to obey all. And you know what I discovered? When you are teaching someone to obey all, you are the one blessed. You are the one who will change. You will, the one, you will be the one who will change. It's like, a, it's like a mom lovingly teaching his boy, her boy, to become a good person. 
And that, that mom will see to it. That mom will see to it that that boy understands what is needed is to become the kind of boy that he wants to be. And you know, the thesis is this. If you want to obey, be humble. You know why? Because obedience to God's command begins with humility. Look at all of the commands that you are not obeying. Why are you not obeying them? Because, because you don't like it. Because it will put you at a disadvantage. Why don't you love your wife sacrificially and unconditionally? Ah, uh, ah, uh, that's hard, okay? Ladies, why are you not submitting to your husbands respectfully in everything? Ah, uh, he doesn't deserve. Ah, uh, you can give all sorts of commands. You know why? Because you are selfish and you don't want to be exposed. Because you are uncomfortable with the demands of obedience. That's why. And that's why we submit to you that making disciples is teaching someone to be like Christ. And to be like Christ is Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard the other person as more important than yourself. Adrian, practice this. Practice this right before your eyes with Doki and Doki. Practice this regarding one another as more important than yourself, and you will be great. Your relationship will soar. Why? Because you are not looking for your own interests, but for the interests of others, because that was Christ. Christ did not look for his own interest, but your interest to be crucified on the cross. And I rest my case. If you want to cultivate humility, make disciples. Cultivate humility, Christ-likeness, make disciples. Because as you make disciples, you will teach yourself to become humble and selfless yourself. Unless you are teaching someone, you're not going to be in a position. You know why? If you're not teaching someone, who cares? Nobody knows. But the moment you expose yourself and tell someone, hey, I want to teach you how to be Christ-like because I'm obeying the Great Commission. And you know what will hit you first? Those of you who are teaching, the, the young people who are teaching other young people, Sean, I guarantee you, when you teach someone to obey all, okay, you will be the first person to be convicted to obey all. Nate, the same thing is true. You know? And I know, I, know, I know God is blessing you because these young people are teaching these people to obey all. And you know who's benefiting? Them. And you young people who are being taught, you know how you can grow in Christ-likeness yourself? Do the same thing and teach, find someone to teach. And those of you who are here seated and asking yourself, who am I going to disciple? If you're a husband, disciple your wife. If you're a mother, disciple your children. It, it's simple. You just teach them to become humble and selfless. And you cannot teach them humility and selflessness unless you yourself are selfless and humble. Amen? Amen. That's why the genius of the command. Make disciples. That is the key. Cultivate humility. If you cultivate humility, you will kill your pride and selfishness for sure. If you make disciples, you will kill your selflessness and pride for sure. If you make disciples, you will obey all because you cannot teach someone to obey all unless you obey all. You understand what I'm saying? And if you obey all, guess what? You prove that you love God. And if you prove that you love God, what will God do? God will bless you. Unstoppable, God will bless you. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a life filled with 
the overflowing goodness, the grace, and the power of God. Make disciples. If you make disciples, you kill your pride and selfishness. If you make disciples, you obey all and love God. Blessed how? This morning, I'd like to ask a mother. Her name is, where's Jackie? Jackie, please come up. Um, I want Jackie to share something about her own experience in being Christ-like and in making disciples. And I'd like you to keep in the back of your mind how God will bless, bless us if we make disciples. Good morning. I'm Jacqueline, wife of Joseph and mom to two wonderful boys. I'm standing here to testify of God's faithfulness even in the small, ordinary, everyday things we encounter in life. So here goes my story. We started homeschooling our boys last year. Our older son is passionate about numbers. So we looked for a homeschool math team in our area. We could not find one. So we asked his math tutor if he's interested to start a class. He liked the idea, started planning and implementing it. He came to us for advice on details such as pricing, resources, location hours, class rules, etc. We referred several families to him. Everything was set, the class was formed, the families and the kids are quite satisfied with his class. However, it did not end there. A couple of moms we invited to the class asked the teacher to move the schedule that would be more convenient for them. Yet, it cannot be done because it will mean another student will have to drop out because that schedule would not fit his. These moms then decided to form another group that will meet their desired location and schedule. They invited the same teacher to teach that group. With the plan of forming a second group, the first group was affected with low numbers and might not be able to continue. Despite the commotion, confusion, and the uncertainty of whether or not my son will still be able to be part of a math team, God has given me peace in my heart, so I was able to remain quiet, silent, <coughs> calm, and I did not react. I simply waited for the, the outcome. One of the moms contacted me. She asked me what was going on. We have a different relationship as we have been meeting for a weekly Bible study which started around fall last year. I explained to her about the second group. She reminded me she reminded me that the math team was my idea. I said, it's okay. I don't want to push people or insist my way or my schedule because I know that if I consider others better than myself and put their interests above mine, God will take care of me. Right now, I just want to obey God. I remember saying to her, our God is a God of the impossible. He can do more than we can ask or even imagine. At the time, I have no idea how but I was kind of excited to see how God is going to work things out. During our conversation, she, told, she mentioned to me that Arcadia Middle School has a very strong math team. I know about this team, but I never considered, until, considered it until that night. Most public schools will not con, con, um, accommodate a homeschooler to join their teams. However, I thought there is nothing to lose. That same night, I sent an email to the school asking if my son can join their team. That same night, I received a reply from the lead teacher. Her reply was, can you bring your son to school 
to take the math Olympiad test and join our weekly math training. I could not believe it. I was so overwhelmed on how God lavishly poured out his blessings in such a short, short, short time. So my son has been going to this team for two weeks now, and it is by far the most rigorous, rigorous training he has ever had. One more bonus, it is free. So I know God orchestrated everything, including the teacher's heart. And I am even more convinced that when I choose to give up my plans, my rights, my desires, to obey God, even in the simple everyday circumstances, I will, God's favor will be upon me. So all glory and honor and praises to the God of the impossible. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. It may look simple, but you know what is happening? The moment you start to expose yourself and try to teach someone to obey all. Remember, she tried, she's discipling that one of the mothers who started to complain. Did you see the issue? People were, people wanted it their way. People are selfish, naturally. They don't know that. They think it's for their own good anyway. And that's us. And you know what did Jackie do? Go ahead. It's okay. And, but you know, because of her obedience, I would like to share with you that if you teach someone and if you act in selfless humility because you are modeling Christ-likeness, okay, the promise of the Great Commission will kick in. What is the promise of the Great Commission? Here, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, you just don't know what it means to have Jesus with you always. Do you really believe that? If you want Jesus to be with you always, it will only come with that requirement that you have to make disciples. It is not for everybody. It's only for the followers of Christ who will decide to teach others to become like Christ. Because if you do that, he will promise you he will be with you always. And that's the blessing. That's a simple example. I, I am a walking testimony. Really. You know, I wanted my brother Edwin to share something about what his, God has been doing in his life, but he said the next time. And we look forward to his sharing. But you know, to those of you who are really making disciples, believe me, you can count on this promise of God. But if you are not yet making disciples, don't despair. In fact, do it. For your selfish reasons. You will overcome your selfishness. You'll be able to obey all. And believe me, you'll be able to prove that you love God. But the moment you do that, and you learn how to pass this on to another, then the presence of God will be with you. I have so much stories to tell you about what I have been doing in the last one year and a half. One year and one quarter. You, you don't see me as much often now here because I spent a lot of time discipling people. I teach people to obey all, to be honest with you. I'm not kidding. I'm teaching them to obey all. And you know, as I do that, my wife and I are the ones blessed. Because we discovered that we cannot teach people to obey all unless we ourselves obey all. And you know, so many blessings. I don't have the time to share it with you. But you know, one of the things that really made me laugh when I was in Manila, was this, okay? This is true, okay? This is true. 
I was sitting in a CCF main, and I was waiting for my appointment. And then one person after another will come to me, and they will say, Pastor Dan, ikaw ba yan? Ang bata mo ah. ang payat-payat mo. Okay? Alam mo, sa totoo lang, wala akong ginawa. And you know, I smiled and told myself, God, this is you, huh? Ever since I started making disciples intentionally, He fixed me. Not only my spiritual condition, not only my financial condition, but also my physical condition. He didn't make me tall, okay? <laughs> but He made me younger looking, okay? You know, look, 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 look. The, the, the point is not me, okay? The point is God being with me, okay? And the point I'm trying to say is this. Why will not God fix you if you are His spokesperson? You understand what I'm saying? If you will make disciples and tell people to be like Christ, and He knows you're sincere in doing that, he will fix you. He will give you a life that is so blessed that people will see that you are a Christ-like disciple, follower of Christ. Say amen to that. Amen. And I dare you, I dare you, make disciples. Blessed how? Romans 8, 28. If Jesus is with you always, why will this not kick in? Look, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Jackie. Did it work together for good? More than good. Right? To those who love God. Oh, yan. You know, how do you know if you love God? You obey all of His commands. Why do you think God is teaching us to teach people to obey all? So that they will be able to love God. And then number two, to those who are called according to His purpose. What is the purpose of God for saving you? Be Christ-like. And what is discipleship? Teaching you to be Christ-like. I can go on and on and on. And I was so excited about this. I became so passionate and I said to myself, this is it. I'm going to be bold and offensive and tell people how to get out of the rut of confess, obey, sin, confess, sin, confess, and be able to grow and become like Christ. Look, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. God wants us to be what? Like His Son. And we can never become like His Son unless we make disciples. Cultivate humility. Kill yourself. Kill, kill yourself. In a manner of speaking, that's right. Kill your pride and selfishness. They're awake. Obey God. Obey all. Love God. And be blessed. Thank you, Lord. Now, I don't want to end by not coming up with practical applications. So, please, I want you to discuss this. Very short. Are you making disciples? Yes, no. Why? And then the question, the second question is, what are the barriers to your making disciples that once addressed, you will make disciples as commanded? Now, can I make a request? Those of you who formed the group, can you give us the barriers? the barriers and the hindrances to your making disciples. You know why I'm asking? And I want you to give this to us. 
because we commit, the leadership of this fellowship are committed to address those so that you will start making disciples to cultivate humility, to kill yourself, no, to kill your pride and selfishness, and to obey all so that God will love, you, will, you will love God and you will be blessed. Thank you for listening, and I said, you can sue me if you like. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. Lord, this is not an easy message, but thank you that your spirit has prodded me to do this. Because, Lord, there is too much complacency happening out there. There's too much ineffectiveness among the Christians out there because of lack of Christ-likeness and witness. And Lord, we just want to thank you that you showed us the only way is for us to obey your great commission of making disciples because that's the only way that we can become like you, to be able to obey and become like your son. Lord, would you give us wisdom on how to address these questions now? And then more importantly, Lord, come up with the things that we need to address for this fellowship so that this fellowship can indeed, Lord, become the kind of Christians who know what to do, not only in thought, but in action and in deed. Father, bless this church. Bring us to the next level, O Lord, so that we can become the kind of salt and light that will impact our world, our impact our family, our impact our very own lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>